Good morning. As you already heard, my name is Paul McFeeters, and I have the honor of serving the four C's, the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference, of which this church is a longtime member church. I get to serve now as the New England uh, Regional Pastor. And though technically you're just outside of New England, and you're part of the the uh, New York, Pennsylvania, and Ohio region. Uh, the, the regional pastor, Tim Dubow, for your region, lives in Pittsburgh. And you're a long way from Pittsburgh. And my wife grew up in Burnt Hills, and my mother-in-law lives in Burnt Hills. And so Tim said, Paul, can you like cover East Glenville? I said, no problem. I love East Glenville. So anyway, it's a pleasure to be back with you. And uh, my mother-in-law is with us today from right around the corner, and my wife too. We are... Uh, Delighted also to bring you greetings from the, all of your sister churches in the Four Seas today. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had our annual gathering of the Four Seas out in St. Cloud, Minnesota, where hundreds of uh, people gathered, churches and pastors from all over the United States gathered for worship and teaching and fellowship. And Pastor Mitch and Pastor uh, Youth Pastor Nick were both able to come, and we had a lovely time out there together. I, Mitch may have already told you a little bit about the, the gathering, but we had a, not only a great time at the conference, then we had this unique bonding experience in airports on the way home. Uh, we were all flying back to Boston, where Mitch and Nick were going to get the car from our house, where they had dropped it off when they first went out, and uh, we were flying back. We got over New York State, and we're approaching, you know, uh, Massachusetts, and the plane starts circling around because this massive storm, kind of like what blew through yesterday afternoon, but a couple of weeks ago blew through, and they couldn't fly over it and couldn't seem to fly around it, and they diverted us to Buffalo. And so we landed in Buffalo. Did Mitch tell you this story? And we all spent the night at motels in Buffalo and, um, and then came back the next morning. And then the flight got delayed again. And so we didn't get back. It took us 24 hours to get from Minnesota back to Boston. And then Mitch and Nick had to drive another three and a half hours out here. So anyway, our bonding experience in Buffalo was just a joy, as you can imagine. Uh, so... Well, anyway, I bring you greetings from all of your sister churches uh, in the Four Seas. And um, I, we say in the Four Seas that our passion is to love God and love others and make disciples wherever we go. And that is the great commandment and the great commission combined. To love God with all your heart, love others as Christ has loved you, and make disciples wherever you go who will do the same thing. And we also say that our pathway is through seven guiding values. And there's a little handout that you might have been given as you came in. And all the seven guiding values and stuff are on this. It's a little just brochure about the four C's. But the very first of the guiding values is to create in our churches a culture of prayer and intercession, a culture of believing prayer and intercession. And I thought as I came to you today, I might just spend a little time with you uh, about the practice of prayer in our lives. Now I know that this is a praying church, and this has been a praying church for many, many years, but how many of you still wish you knew how to pray better than you do? Anybody but me? Yeah. Me too. Somehow or other, prayer makes us all feel a little inadequate. How do we actually talk to God? And are we supposed to be eloquent? Like, what if my meager words don't like add up to much in the kingdom of God? How do we actually pray? Well, I just want you to know, you're not only in good company with people in your church, you're also in good company with Jesus' own disciples. Because they watched him pray, and they also said the same thing. Lord, teach us to pray like that. 
I mean, John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Will you teach us to pray like you pray? And so this little section in the Gospel of Luke is a number of passages that are sort of intertwined together that all concern prayer and the practice of how to actually pray. And there's four sections here. The first section is the story of Mary and Martha. And then the second section is that place where Jesus actually teaches his disciples to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer. And then the third section is that little parable of the man who wakes his neighbor up in the middle of the night and bangs on his door and needs to get some bread. And the fourth section is the comparison Jesus makes between our earthly fathers and our heavenly father. And I want to take a little phrase from each of those sections and invite Jesus to speak them, those phrases, into our lives today and to teach us to pray like he does. So let's begin with the oft-told story of Mary and Martha. And the phrase I'd like us to focus on is, but only one thing is necessary. But only one thing is necessary. Now, you know the context of this phrase. Jesus and his disciples are visiting in Mary and Martha's home, and Martha is busily trying to prepare the meal for everyone. But her sister Mary is sitting in the living room at Jesus' feet with the men listening to what Jesus is teaching. And Martha is irritated, right? She's irritated. She wants Mary to get up and come and help her with the preparations. Set the table, get the bread out of the oven, pour the wine. Come on, Mary. She's irritated enough that she goes to Jesus and she wants Jesus to be as irritated as she is and to tell Martha to get up off the living room floor and come into the kitchen and help her. Because Mary is not supposed to be sitting in the living room with the men talking about God. She's supposed to be cooking in the kitchen and getting the dinner ready for the men to eat when Jesus is done. That's just the way things were in that day. Maybe that's the way things are in your home still, right? But Mary is not behaving as she's supposed to behave. But Jesus, instead of scolding Mary, he tells Martha, he says, Martha, 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 right? You are upset by many things, he says, but only one thing is necessary. There's that phrase, only one thing is necessary. He says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is necessary. Mary is choosing to spend the time that Jesus is in her house with Jesus. And Jesus says that she has chosen what is best and that the time with him is really the one thing necessary for her to be doing that day. And that in choosing what is best, she is choosing what will be remembered in her life long after that meal is eaten, long after that meal is digested and completely forgotten. But the time she has spent listening to Jesus will be with her forever. What she learns at his feet will touch her life for years and years and years to come. My friends, this is one of those lessons about prayer I need to tell myself every single morning. Paul, only one thing is necessary. Would you sit down and pray? And I have to tell myself that because you know what? I am a Martha. How many of you feel like Martha's? We are, I'm a task-oriented person. I want to get things done. 
and in the morning I have all these things that seem to think I think they're needing to be done. I need to get the dishes that are still drying in the sink because we don't have a dishwasher. So we wash them when we dry them. And this morning I want to put them all away. I want to straighten up the living room a little bit. Oh yeah, there's still clothes in the wash that need to go in the dryer. There's all these things that I have to do before I sit down and actually pray. And I have to tell myself, Paul, you are, you are spending prime time on second-rate tasks that don't really need to be done right now. And so I use this phrase, Paul, only one thing is necessary. It's make the coffee for your wife. No, it's sit down and pray. Only one thing is necessary. And I have to tell myself this because, I don't know about you, I procrastinate when it comes to prayer. Because something about praying makes me feel a little inadequate. And also, something about all these other tasks seems more practical and more useful in the moment. There's something about praying that just doesn't seem that practical or that useful, right? But I have to tell myself, Paul, there's only one thing really necessary. Sit down open up the Bible, pray through a psalm, pay attention, listen to what God might be saying. And you know, when I do that, it's always a good choice. It really is. It may not seem to be practical in a sort of typically concrete, useful sort of way, but I'll tell you, it is always useful and practical on the inside of my life because it transforms me for the day ahead. It actually rearranges my priorities for the day ahead. There's so often when I will just sit and be quiet that the things that are on my to-do list, because I'm a task-oriented person, that are on my to-do list, God will remind me of things that aren't on my to-do list that maybe should be. That person I really should call that day. That person who really needs a little ministry and you should actually go by and visit. That card that needs to be written and it's not actually on your to-do list. Or the priorities of my to-do list he will rearrange and say, you know, the one thing on there that's really necessary today is this, not that thing at the top of the list. He will rearrange it. And then he also transforms me inside so as I go about my day and do the things on my to-do list, I do them with a different mentality and a different attitude and a different sort of sense of peace about the day that God has sort of reordered my priorities and I'm about what he wants me to do today. And so I do it Instead of with sort of a hectic urgency that's my thing, I can do it more with a sense of peace that I'm actually doing what he's asked me to do today. It might not seem practical, but it's actually completely useful and practical when you actually sit down and do it. So the first lesson in prayer from Jesus, it actually needs a little Nike swoosh next to it that's like, Paul, just do it, right? Just do it. It's the one thing that's necessary. Find a time and a place to sit at Jesus' feet and just listen. Now the second section in our reading today is where Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And the phrase I want to emphasize briefly is simply where Jesus says, when you pray, say this. When you pray, say this, he says. Because prayer is not only listening, it's also talking to God, isn't it? And when we pray, Jesus says, Here's the kinds of things to pray. So the Lord's Prayer isn't just a prayer that we pray by rote. Jesus is actually teaching his disciples, these are the sorts of things that when you go to the Lord in prayer, you can pray when you talk to God. Pray like this, he says, address God as your Father. And you know, elsewhere, Jesus says, call him even Abba, 
which is the Hebrew word for daddy. Have a relationship so that when you're entering into prayer, you don't feel inadequate. You just talk to God like a five-year-old talks to their daddy. You don't have to be eloquent. In fact, if you read the Lord's Prayer, there's only one or two words that are more than one syllable. Like heavenly has a few, but you know, they're all one-syllable words. And they're all just short little phrases he teaches us. He says, pray like this. Pray to God like your dad. Say, Lord, bless your name today. May your name be honored in my life today. May all that I do today somehow bring honor to you today. That's kind of what hallowed be your name means. Then he says, pray first and foremost when you start asking for things. Pray first and foremost for God's kingdom to come. Because elsewhere Jesus says, If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. So seek first his kingdom. Ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And my friends, that little phrase, those two little phrases actually, are just great things to pray for people on your prayer list, to pray for missionaries, to pray for your own day. Say, Lord, may your kingdom come today in some way. May your kingdom come for for those missionaries that are are in Iran this week, for those people that are being persecuted. May they somehow experience your kingdom today, your peace, your power. May your will be done there in that person's life, that person in the hospital. May your kingdom come somewhere to them right in the hospital room where they can experience your grace today. Just, Just use those words to just pray for everybody on your prayer list. Pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And then he says, also pray for your own needs. Pray for your daily bread. But on top of the daily bread for your body, pray for that daily bread you need for your soul too today. Pray for the other things that you need and ask God to sort of prioritize them so he gives you what you really need, even though you think you might need some of these other things. But bring to him the things that you need. Jesus says, ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And don't make it be complicated. Just pray for his forgiveness and then receive it. And then ask for his strength to help you forgive people that sin against you. Just let forgiveness start flowing through you, from the Father to you and from you to those people around you. Ask for God's help in times of trial, times of temptation. Ask for him to deliver you not only from the evil in the world, but from the evil one who wants to plague your soul. These are just simple little things. Jesus says, when you pray, say to God these kinds of things. Talk to God like that. Keep it simple. Don't try to be too eloquent. And I would encourage you that way, too. When you do group prayer together, talk about feeling inadequate. When we gather together as groups, you know, somebody can always really pray beautifully and eloquently in in whole paragraphs, and then you sit there thinking, when it comes to be my turn, I don't know what I'm supposed to say after that, right? I encourage our church to pray when we gather in groups to pray sentence prayers. One sentence, each person around the circle. And we... go topic to topic. So if we're praying for a missionary, everybody gets to pray for that missionary, but only one sentence. So nobody's covering the whole thing. You just pray one sentence. And you know, when you only have to pray one sentence, anybody can pray one sentence. And so it's just kind of cool to see how it goes around the group and how the entire group prays. And then you move on to the next thing and you move on to the next thing. It's just a little technique of enabling us to pray less eloquently and just more honestly and simply. Jesus says, when you pray, just say this. Just say these kinds of things. In the third section, Jesus stresses to his disciples that when it comes to praying, they also need to be persistent. 
And the phrase I want us to remember here is those simple words, ask and seek and knock. And in the original language, there's a little tense verb tense that means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For my friends, those words sum up exactly what Jesus' little story here is all about. In his story is this little parable of the neighbor who gets up late at night because a friend of his who's been traveling comes to his house and he welcomes the guy into his house, but he has nothing to serve him. So he goes to his next door neighbor and starts banging on his next door neighbor's door. And his next door neighbor, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night and gets out of bed and he opens up the windows upstairs and looks out to see who's knocking at his door. And he looks down and he sees his next door neighbor. He's like, would you stop knocking? What is wrong with you anyway? My my wife's in bed. My kids are in bed. Neighbor says, I need three loaves of bread. I've got another friend who came in the middle of the night. I have nothing to serve him. The guy says, I don't have anything for you. Just, just stop knocking. And he closes the window, you know, and goes back to bed. Jesus says, but his neighbor is so impudent. Did you hear that great word? He's so impudent, he keeps on banging on the guy's door. And because he keeps on banging, Jesus says, the neighbor doesn't get up because he's a nice guy and he's his neighbor. He gets up because he wants him to stop banging on his door. So he says, okay already, right? And he goes downstairs and he gets the bread and he hands it to the guy and then he goes back to bed. Jesus says, prayer takes some persistence. If God doesn't answer you the first time, just don't stop asking, don't stop seeking, don't stop knocking. There's a woman in the church that I served for a long time whose name is Gloria, and she had a son. She had four sons, actually, but, you know, four sons, one of them at least is going to be wayward, right? And so this was her third of the four, and he was sort of her prodigal. And uh, there were years where he was just gone and was not communicative and was in trouble in various kinds of times and only came back when he needed more money. And uh, there had been many years there where he was not coming home at all. She prayed for him, and it was, I think, 21 years, unless I'm dyslexic. It's either 12 or 21, but she prayed for him year after year after year after year, and I'm pretty sure it was 21 years. And finally, one day, he actually did come home, and through a whole other circumstances, he had come to faith through people who had actually finally connected with him in some other state, in some other place, and he came home, and he was repentant, and he asked his mother and his father's forgiveness, and he was going to church, and he had gotten himself a job, and he was working now, and she was like overjoyed, but she had been praying for him year after year for 21 years. Every time I read this parable, I think it's a Gloria thing. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. God's timing might not be your timing, but it doesn't mean your prayers aren't being heard and he isn't actually doing something unbeknownst to you. So be persistent, Jesus says. For everyone who asks will receive and everyone who seeks will find. And to one who knocks and keeps on knocking, right, the door will be open. Well, then Jesus finishes his teaching on prayer with his final section in which he compares our earthly fathers to our heavenly fathers. And the phrase I want us to remember here is where Jesus says, how much more? How much more? He says, if even you earthly fathers, though you are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? My friends, Jesus wants us to know that our heavenly Father is really not like that grouchy neighbor 
who finally got up in the middle of the night because the guy was banging down his door so much. Like that little story is a great story about persistence, but it's not a great story in which God comes out looking very good, right? God looks like the grumpy neighbor next door. The very next thing Jesus says, though, is, but wait a minute. That's not really what your heavenly father's like. I want you to know that even though our earthly people and earthly neighbors and earthly fathers can be sinful and broken, your heavenly father is actually not like that. He actually loves you, and he's good to his children. And our God is actually faithful, and he's generous and kind. And he gives us not only stuff when we ask for it, amazingly, he gives us himself. He gives us his Holy Spirit, Jesus says. And my friends, this is perhaps the most important lesson about prayer. Prayer is not so much a way of getting the heavenly Santa Claus to actually give us everything on our Christmas wish list. Prayer is instead a way of coming into relationship with a heavenly Father who actually loves us and who gives himself to us when we actually spend time in relationship with him. How much more and how much better is that? Prayer is not going to get you everything on your wish list. It just isn't. Prayer is not going to protect you from every harmful thing that this world might throw at you or at your family. Prayer is not going to heal every person who's in the hospital. He's not going to heal every person from cancer. He's not going to prevent every person from ever having to die. We live in a broken world, and we are broken and sinful people. Prayer doesn't necessarily fix all of that. But what prayer does is it brings us into the relationship with God, our Redeemer, who takes all of the brokenness of the world on himself and somehow or other, he says, I will work it all out together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. I will take the good things in your life and the bad things in your life, and I will somehow redeem them all, just like I ultimately did for my son in the brokenness of the cross and even brought out of death resurrection. That is what a relationship with the Heavenly Father can do for us. He takes the brokenness and he mends it. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us so that when we come in relationship with him, he doesn't say, I'm going to fix the world. He says, I'm going to walk with you through the world. I'm going to never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you come what may. You can hang on to me. You can hang on to my promise that I will take all things, all things, he says, and work them together for your good. Even your own death. I will bring forth resurrection, just like I did for my son Jesus. My friends, prayer is what enables us to walk through this life and know that we are not alone. He is with us. Prayer is what enables us to find guidance when we don't know which way to turn. Prayer helps us to actually experience God's provision when we are down and out and find fullness when we are empty, and wholeness when we are broken, and companionship when we are sad and lonely, and comfort when we are grieving. Because our Heavenly Father is good, and He gives us Himself, His own Holy Spirit, whenever we ask and seek and knock. And my friends, that really is the one thing necessary for us in our lives, is His presence. And that is the one thing that can never be taken away from us.
So let's bow in prayer, even now. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching your disciples to pray, for modeling it for them, for teaching them what kind of things to say, how to sit and listen, how to be persistent, and how to actually come into a relationship with your Father who loves us and has given himself to us in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, who's forgiven our sins cleansed us, enabled us to enter into this relationship, and then amazingly poured out his spirit to live in us and dwell with us. So that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. In the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. May we go forth, Lord, today, knowing you as our Father and as our Savior, our Redeemer and Lord. And may we not feel inadequate to come before you in prayer, but call you Daddy and speak to you like a five-year-old and spend the time with you because we have learned to delight in you and to experience your presence. And we deeply know it really is the one thing necessary for our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we're going to sing together. In that same song you began with, right? We are. We are. We're, we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer as our closing song. Uh, a song we learned a few weeks ago, if you were here, uh, when Will Gideon.